millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here. Before we get to this week's episode, you may have remembered that on last week's show, I asked for listeners to send in their creepiest personal ghost stories or monster sightings to share with everyone to get us, you know, in the Halloween spirit. The response was incredible, and I am so happy and horrified to share this personal account by Katie, where she remembers something very interesting that happened during her college years when she was working at a rec center in Florida. Have a listen. Hi, this is Katie. Um, I wanted to share the story that happened to me in my early 20s. Um, During college, I worked at a recreation center after school, um, you know, watching little kids and also during the summertime, during summer camp, I guess it was, it was kind of like YMCA, but it was, you know, run by, owned by the city. Anyway, um, this rec center, I don't think it was super old. It might've been built in the sixties or the seventies, um, in a pretty decent area of my town in Florida. Uh, I had worked there for a year or so and my, one of my girlfriends, my best girlfriend, she worked there as well. She worked with middle schoolers. I worked with the elementary kids and her boss, the was, you know, overall the teen programs and everything. And he was really, really cool, really fun. And we got to talk in, you know, after work one day and find out, you know, he's into the paranormal as well as, as she and I are. Um, and he says, Hey, you know, I've had a lot of experiences in this rec center. I've seen things before closing up, you know, I've seen a person in this, you know, in one of the rooms as I was locking the door, seeing through the glass, you know, doors, uh, et cetera. And he'd done some, you know, a little bit of kind of ghost hunting, EVP work after hours. Uh, but then, you know, got the idea. He said, Hey, why don't we do a ghost hunt sometime? Cause you know, he had the keys to the place and if it was a weekend, it wasn't being used. No one really would know. I mean, I don't even think there were cameras. No, I mean, there weren't cameras or anything, um, monitoring if anyone came in after hours. So one weekend, it was like a Saturday night. It was, um, my friend's boss, my friend, myself, I think two other friends about our age, we were about like 20, 21. And then, um, the, my friend's boss, the, the rec center manager, team manager, he allowed like two of his, I guess, you know, teens, students to come along because they were cool. I mean, I guess they were kind of cool for like 12 or 13 years old. Obviously this was something that they probably weren't supposed to tell their parents and they didn't thank God or we'd all be fired. But we, um, had all this equipment. I mean, he had, you know, handheld cameras. He had, I think he had an infrared camera as well. Um, he had a quite a big setup. And so we split up the, the, rec center wasn't huge, but it was large enough where you could split up into different groups and be in different rooms and not hear each other. I mean, granted, you know, this, maybe you could still pick up someone talking in another room if you were in a recorder across the building, but, um, so it wasn't perfect. It wasn't an ideal situation. Anyway, I was assigned to the main room 
uh, the main playroom when you walked into the building, it was probably about, gosh, um, 30 feet by like 30 by 20, maybe. And it was myself and one of my friends and we were just sitting in the room along one of the walls and we were, you know, asking questions out loud. We had the handheld video camera and we were just, you know, filming the room. There was no one else in the room except for us, you know, just scanning along the walls with the camera. And we noticed that the camera, and this was also the night vision, this had night vision on it. The camera was, and it was fully charged, by the way. It was fully charged before we started this. We tried, we were scanning, and we noticed in this one corner that it just wouldn't focus. And I was like, okay, maybe because it's dark. But then that that portion that wouldn't focus started to move. It, it kept moving. And so we were kind of following it. And this was just for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, the camera shuts off. It's out of battery. It's dead. And so we go get, you know, the, our boss. I'm like, hey, this happened. He's like, I literally just charged that. Okay, fine. Here's the plug. So we literally plugged it directly into the wall and it worked for a little bit. Same thing. We're getting the spot that keeps moving and the camera keeps dying and then just won't turn on. I mean, it wasn't broken. It worked after that. It just wouldn't, wouldn't work during that. Also something interesting was during that, um, I guess, ghost hunt, ghost stakeout, a couple days later at work, my friend's boss calls us into his office and he's like, Hey, I'm going over the audio because like I said, some of us were stationed in different areas and two of, two of us, not myself, but two friends were in the gym and he's like, I want you to listen to this recording. And I've heard a lot of EVPs. Believe me. I don't, I don't think half of them are anything, you know, it's all kind of suggestion, but this was clear as day and it was a little girl's voice saying, mommy, mommy, and something like, are you my mommy or have you seen my mommy? But really, really clear. So that is one thing where I, it was too good. It was almost too good to be true. So that one I will say, okay, maybe he was messing with us. So I I do want to contact him one day and say like, look, were you messing with us? Was that, was that a real EVP? But it was pretty neat, and um, it was quite an experience. So we did another ghost hunt another time, and there were only three of us, and it freaked me out too badly. There was too much going on. So I was I was pretty much done with it. I was kind of done with ghosts and the paranormal for a while. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed my story. Thanks. Mommy, ma- Ugh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. You know, now that I think about it, I've always wanted to know where that term came from, heebie-jeebies. Well, I did a little digging, and it actually was coined by an American comic strip cartoonist, W.D. Beck, in 1905. So, there you go, little etymology for you here on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you so much to Katie for sharing this, and it's not too late, guys. If you have a story you want to tell, just use the contact tab on the website at Somewhere in the skies.com and we will take it from there the countdown to halloween is upon us and this week's guest will surely get you in the mood so let's get on with the show this is somewhere in the skies with ryan spread
What if a world-renowned philosopher and professor of psychiatry at Harvard suddenly announced he believed in ghosts? At the close of the 19th century, the illustrious William James led a determined scientific investigation into unexplainable incidences of clairvoyance and ghostly visitations. James and a small group of eminent scientists staked their reputations, their careers, even their sanity on one of the most extraordinary quests ever undertaken to empirically prove the existence of ghosts, spirits, and psychic phenomena. What they pursued and what they found raises questions as fascinating today as they were then. The previous words on the back of the book, Ghost Hunters, by Deborah Blum, and I believe it fits quite nicely with this week's discussion. Building off of the work of visionaries like William James, it's quite apparent that paranormal investigators of all walks of life are stepping up and trying to find those answers by asking new questions. And such is the case for today's guest. Carl Pfeiffer is a writer, photographer, and paranormal investigator. He won the first season of Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters Academy and appeared on Ghost Hunters International. He worked for five years as the resident paranormal investigator at the famous Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, where he conducted more than 250 investigations and created a web series featuring his spirit investigations team called Spirits of the Stanley. He lectures across America about approaches to the science and philosophy of the paranormal. Today, we dive deep into his time on Ghost Hunters Academy, separating the fact from fiction when filming a ghost hunting television show. We then move into his extensive investigations into the famous Stanley Hotel. We wrap things up all about the science and philosophy of ghost hunting, even diving into the seminal work of Jacques Vallée. This was a perfect interview for the Halloween season and a guest I think you're really going to enjoy. So, without further ado, here is my ghostly communication with Carl Pfeiffer. Carl, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. This is a departure for me, actually. Usually we are talking all UFOs, but today, brother, we are going total ghosting. So, again, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is this is exciting that we could finally put this together. I'm pumped. We have tried to make this work for a while now, so I am so happy it's finally happening. And we have some strange synchronicities with one another that mm-hmm. we will get to later in the show. But yeah. uh, first, it for, might not have been just us putting this whole thing together as late as we did. <laughs> that is very true. There is an architect at work. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm sure a lot of my listeners they may be familiar with your work for, but but for those who aren't, how did you first get involved with paranormal investigation? We are going back to the origin story, brother. The origin story, the first comic book. Yep. Yeah. So basically, um, back in the day, it's I don't know where it came from, but from my entire life, I've just been so deeply passionate about all this stuff. Uh, I, I find that there's two ways that people get into this whole field of weirdness and high strangeness, and that's they either have that experience that kicks things off or they're just passionate about it, you know, and, and I was the the latter side where I've always been into the creepy stuff. I've always been into the mysterious and the weird and the spooky, whether that's just as a kid and being into like the Tim Burton Batman movies, you know, and Ghostbusters. Um, or as I got older and started doing more research, just all this um, slightly more concrete, which is funny to say, um, paranormal stuff being concrete, but that's where those like creepy and more mysterious things start to cross over actually into 
our experiences that you don't just have to engage with like a Stephen King novel, but you can actually go and engage with the weird uh, in whatever form that takes, whatever's actually going on out there. Uh, you can kind of pursue it. So I've spent uh, my life just trying to pursue these things in high school. The Ghost Hunters boom hit and I was I was into that and learning as much as I could and then did a little bit of research here and there with like a ghost hunting group. It was pretty ragtag uh, those first couple of investigations before I was swooped up on Ghost Hunters Academy, um, the sci-fi spinoff show from Ghost Hunters, mm -hmm. kind of that competition reality show. And we shot six episodes and I was one of the co-winners of the first season and uh, threw myself back into college and, and wrote a couple books and just kind of figured out what the next step was, which was working at the Stanley Hotel, which I did for uh, a couple of years up there leading the weekend public ghost hunts. Right. Yeah. And we will definitely get into that. That is uh, mm -hmm. when I first heard that, I say, oh, my God, I got to interview this guy. I am oh, sure you have some stories about that. But backtracking back to Ghost Hunters Academy, we always hear in the paranormal realm, ghost hunting on TV is a completely different beast that it's all fake. This, that we know that's not true. <laughs> and you know that for a fact, it's not all true. But I'm I'm going to put you on the spot here. I would love to hear how the process of a ghost hunting show, how you may think it differs from like an actual paranormal investigation where you're spending 12, 13 hours in a place, you know, waiting for anything to happen. And, and I know this probably happens on television as well. It's just edited out, unlike real life. So, oh, yeah. Could you give us maybe a little insider scoop of what it was like filming those six episodes? Totally. It was um, a really interesting experience because for me in a lot of ways uh, at that time, sort of the TV shows were my framework for like what an investigation kind of looks like. Um, and so a lot of that was supported by the shows and then sort of evolved afterwards when my thinking outside of the box was also thinking outside of the TV show box as well. But, you know. And it was interesting, too, because Ghost Hunters Academy was like so much more of like that reality based where they spent a little bit more time on like whether or not we were struggling with the setup or not or, you know, teaching us stuff or learning stuff or dealing with the hijinks uh, versus just when I was on Ghost Hunters International. Everything was just like, yeah, like it just takes a while to set up sometimes mm -hmm. we're going to get to it. Um, so there's there's some elements that kind of got in the way just by nature of our show. But I think one of the interesting things was from what I've seen after the TV show, in some ways, we actually spend more times than a lot of the other ghost hunting groups, like when we're in a location, because we would sit and have it relatively scheduled out where we were in a room, just like a, a normal, boring old room for like two hours waiting for something to happen. And I remember being at Eastern State and we just sat in one of those prison hallways for like three hours, just every single question you could possibly think of to ask a ghost. We were like EVP experts uh, from an interview perspective by the end of that show because we just, uh, at a certain point, being as novice as we were too, that was just all we could do was just try to think of any possible question that could engage the spirits or whatever it was that was around us and, and try to associate them and talk about their experience, whether that was when they were living or when they were dead. And just the amount of creative questions that we just had to draw upon uh, was pretty nuts. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. going to say that's pretty cool just to know that like you're coming in it. 
you're coming at it fresh and with, I would assume, a passion and hunger that maybe some of these veteran ghost hunters may have lost throughout time, uh, possibly, you don't know. But it's interesting to hear that your your attention to detail as a, I guess, kind of a new, a new person in the field, uh, I can only imagine would help an investigation as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, there's also that, that like being thrown in the deep end where like all you can do is swim, you know, like you have to swim. And that was where we were at, where we were like, we're in this hallway or we're in this room or we're in this situation where nothing's happening. Like, how do we coax it out? Whereas I think when it's in a bit of a less controlled scenario that a lot of ghost hunting teams were doing around that time and still to this day, you know, you might spend 20 minutes in a room and be like, oh, it's pretty quiet in here and move on or check something else out or rendezvous. And, you know. While I don't really agree with that, I think you should give it the time. This was where I got that background in giving it the time because you had to sit there for two hours. You couldn't switch it out or you're going to get yelled at by like Steven Tango on that show. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of my first uh, example of being thrown into it. But obviously, like the the TV show aspect, at least on the one I was on, it was very much about just like letting it unfold. And so it was not very intrusive. Uh, it got intrusive in like the transitions, you know, and that's just normal when you're filming, when you're walking down a stairwell and the camera guy says, all right, stop, rewalk down that stairwell. I'm going to shoot it from down this time. You know, like that's where it's like a very TV ish and everything's being like set up and organized and orchestrated. But once we were in those rooms, once we were doing it, the camera guys just turned into absolute ninjas and just let everything unfold. And there was very little to none influence from outside. We just had a sound guy sitting on the headset listening in. We had the one camera guy just shooting us and very, very much just letting it unfold. That's good to hear. I mean, we we have these, you know, preconceived notions that it's all scripted, that, you know, mm-hmm. everything's planned. And, you know, there are certain shows that we won't name that uh, apparently do do that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, everyone is different in a spectrum of a lot of stuff like that. And absolutely. I think it's tough for them. The more I think they have to coax out a story or something, the more that there's a missing beat, they've got to try to, it's tough to edit that footage when you've got a night or two, you know, to try to make it there. So I don't support any, uh, mischievous stuff on that side of things, but, uh, I understand the, the challenge of trying to make a compelling story every week. Exactly. It's, it's, it's TV. Yeah. It, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, moving away from TV, you, uh, you, you did go Hunters Academy and that brought you to actually working at the famous Stanley Hotel. And so now we're moving to the silver screen, known best for being the location of The Shining. So what did you do at the hotel? How did you get hooked up with this this job and then eventually countless investigations there? It was a really interesting journey. The way that the pieces kind of fell together, uh, it felt like one door in the paranormal closed and then a couple months later, another one opened. The whole thing revolved around kind of, I brought my buddy from Ghost Hunters Academy, Chris McCune and his now wife out to Colorado. They wanted to check it out, hang out a little bit. And I was like, well, of course we have to go up to the Stanley. Now, ironically, I'd spent, you know, 10, 15 years in Colorado at this point and I'd driven past it before, but I hadn't really visited ever before. So I was like, I, I have to visit this too. So it was a good excuse. And we were up there checking it out and we just kind of wandered around like tourists. And then we tweeted it out that, 
you know, we had just checked out the Stanley. This was this was super cool. It'd be fun to ghost hunt sometime. And the woman at the time who ran the the ghost hunts on the weekends, Callie, she would just kind of like troll around on Twitter and like look for people posting about the Stanley. And she would kind of hit them back and be like, you know, reply to them just like it's a great place or like, yeah, you know, the ghosts are super cool. <laughs> just sort of like a little bit of reach outing or reaching out there. And the interesting thing was that she would normally like search for Stanley Hotel because if she just looked up Stanley, she would get too much miscellaneous stuff. But she had happened to look up just the word Stanley that day. And I had tweeted not saying Stanley Hotel. I just said we were up at the Stanley. And uh, she saw our tweets and she was like, oh, my God, like I watched Ghost Hunters Academy. Like you guys should have let me know. Like we could have hooked something up. And so Chris and I look at each other and we're like, well, what are you doing tonight? You know, and. <laughs> So, of course, like our, our girlfriends were like rolling their eyes. They're like, we're going to go back up there and do a ghost hunt. And Chris and I are like, hell yes, we are. Yeah. And we're dragging you guys along. And so we went up. We did it. We rolled through the night and it was a lot of fun, a lot of weird stuff. Very interesting. And wound up getting super hooked. And so I sort of did that like, so, you know, like this would be fun to just kind of come and be like a guest on some of the future hunts. And <laughs> on a started, weekly basis, yep, just started popping up from week to week. And around that January, then because that was in August, uh, they were looking to expand the ghost hunts and uh, bring in on some more uh, public guests. And they needed somebody else to help out. So Callie threw my name into the mix and got me all hired up. And then five years later, the ride kind of ran to an end. But it was uh, by my count, around 250 investigations in between there that uh, we worked up there. So wound up the crux of it was leading uh, groups of 10 to 20 people around on the weekends and kind of doing part of it a tour and then three hours of like sitting in a room, seeing what we could get. And then kind of an hour of letting them kind of wander amongst themselves and apply what they've learned. Uh, but a really fascinating job in terms of like, yes, getting to ghost hunt uh, multiple times a week. Uh, as a job at a place as, as famous as the Stanley and as active, but also the nuances of trying to trying to get everyone their money's worth, whether a ghost showed up or not, was the interesting, like the work of the job, the nuance of it, that it wasn't just ghost hunting. It was about telling stories and education and talking theory and, and wacky ideas. And uh, my goal was always to to kind of focus on the skeptics and mm. If I could get the skeptics to leave feeling like they got their money's worth, not as believers, like I didn't really want to convince them of anything per se, but if they could have a respect for what it is that we do, because we get so many boyfriends and wives and stuff that were like, oh, I'm just humoring my person. This is so stupid. Everyone's a moron here. <laughs> but if, if they could leave and be like, wow, like you, what you guys had to say was very, very compelling. Like, it's interesting how you approach this. You're not just running around screaming in the dark. That was always kind of my goal was to to pull back the curtain on more of the actual thought that went into this. That wasn't just like, did you hear that? You know, that everyone kind of thinks it is when they're not passionate about it. Yeah. And I, I think what's really cool is anytime I've gone on a ghost tour or uh, I recently went on my my first ever ghost investigation, which I can touch on briefly in a moment here. But yeah. I love hearing the stories, the legend tripping, the history behind a place. And that has always appealed to me more than the actual spirit that may be in a, a place or uh, in an object or just in, you know, in general. So that's that's cool that that almost became 50% of what you were doing there. And I can oh, yeah. only imagine that, that that would only enhance the experience both for the people attending and just the activity happening there. 
You know, I think with more context you give a person, the more they're going to be open to the possibility that something might be able to pierce that veil, might be able to communicate with you. And that energy just manifests. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like having, it's it's clarifying what we do um, and having some fun with it, you know? And, and when other people start having some fun, when they start realizing the possibilities, we, we think a lot too about, how much uh, difference it makes when there's sort of that one like person in the group that's a jerk about it. You know, Mm. that's we got a lot less activity when that happened. So if you could kind of start things off by trying to like bring them into that perspective on it of like having more respect for it, have having more respect for how we think about it. And then they're a little bit more open to the possibility that's like, well, if these guys aren't total idiots about this, if they're thinking a little critically about how they approach it, Maybe there's something here. And when you start to to pull down those barriers, that's when the whether it's that energy dynamic or just the social nuance of like spirits feeling comfortable with 20 strangers, whatever that is, we found that that dynamic was really important. And by approaching it from multiple different angles like that, the results tended to be better than just letting everyone run around or by being idiots about it and being like, go surreal and you're dumb if you don't think so or what, you know, however terrible approach you could imagine you know so in terms of the stanley i'm sure you experienced some pretty crazy stuff there you even started a web series called spirits Mm. of stanley this was pretty cool for me i mean there's always been a presence about the place whether it's the first time you visit or whether you're well into 200 plus times there's something powerful here It's just like an overwhelming feeling, like, this isn't right. Oh, that was weird, man. Dude, we had a whole f- conversation. Holy crap. Oh. I'm going to go in that way. My brain is screaming. Right now. Oh, my. 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 Oh,
I loved watching this. Can you tell us about the show and maybe about some of the key moments you remember that really stuck with you during filming this? Yeah. So it, the whole process was pretty interesting because it was kind of multi-tiered. We were both, it kind of kicked off in September 2015. Michelle Tate from Ghost Hunters uh, moved up to Colorado to work with us at the Stanley Hotel leading these ghost hunts because our other investigator at the time got real busy with family and needed to take a step back. So it was kind of a unique opportunity for Michelle to come up and join us. And we had a Facebook page that we didn't use much. So we blasted it out that Michelle uh, was with us on this project now. We got some engagement with that post and we thought, why don't we use this more, you know, but instead of just telling the stories and the status of what happens uh, on the weekends, like let's try to document it more. So it turned into uh, throughout the fall, just kind of documenting little like more vlog style, just interview sit downs with like evidence clips. I hate calling them evidence, but with the little clips of the activity that we got, which at the time we were working with uh, the Dark Zone project, which is sort of a, a slowly up and coming developing like a. Uh, media network online uh, with different like web series style paranormal content and that spirits of the stanley what developed from that was sort of for that that dark zone project so it was a good excuse to like get more serious about it and shoot it a little bit better and make it more engaging so yeah when we came back in in january of 2016 uh, we hit it hard and went for about three months of just like shooting not only some of the public investigations and what happened there but a lot of questions were starting to pop up with the spirits there that we started coming up there more and more in our free time or after the public investigations to continue our research and our questions and doing crazier stuff. And that was kind of the crux of the series that uh, came to an end a little bit, uh, sadly, too soon um, when the hotel decided to, to shut down some of the more paranormal aspects and go for a classier direction or whatever the the reasoning was for mm -hmm. taking away some of that ghost angle. So it was kind of short lived, but just a really fun opportunity to just have creative control as a creative myself to create, create this project that documented what we were doing. And the biggest mysteries at that point were revolving around which spirits were there. We had a, a spirit named Eddie show up about probably two and a half years before we started that web series. And he was he was fascinating because it seemed like he was a recent spirit who was almost figuring out how to be a ghost to some extent. <laughs> OK. Yeah. He, he started with just a smell, kind of like a smell of like body odor. Right. And in this one room and there's the first night it happened, there was three of us in the room and we we're smelling each other to make sure that like it wasn't any of us. We we're like, I think we would have noticed a couple hours ago if one of us uh, was a little ripe. But yeah. uh so it was the smell, the sourceless smell we couldn't figure out. It started coming back randomly week to week uh, when we started talking about that smell and it being unpleasant. The uh, the smell started to change. You could kind of catch it on the edges, but it was more of like a, a flowers type smell. It was more pleasant, like mm -hmm. it was consciously being changed. And then there was some physical interaction. People started feeling like they got touched. And then when we started getting more like EVP type device interaction where we started flushing out the story, we were getting consistent names coming across like Ed and Eddie coming through. Uh, we weren't talking about it publicly. We didn't have the web series at that point. So then we get like uh, self-proclaimed psychics coming on the ghost hunts and they'd be like, I'm feeling like there's like an, an Eddie spirit here. And we're like, how the hell did you know that? You know, mm. so it was really fascinating to put those pieces together over the course of a year and a half and kind of build his story. And towards the end there, with that all in mind, too, we would look at all the activity and how it changed every week as we studied it. And it seemed like there were some new spirits at the time and that some of our 
more classic spirits like Lucy is one of the famous ones. She she might have been gone at that point. Like we hadn't heard from her in, in a year or two. But it got to the point that we really wondered if her story had changed drastically, that she had moved on, if that, that's what happens, or if she just like went somewhere else on the property or, or whatever happened with her. Uh, that was kind of a mystery, too. So all this stuff kind of developing right there in the spring, just lots and lots and lots of questions which happens the deeper you look. The moment you take that extra step, all the questions just yawn out in front of you. Yeah, I can only imagine. Well, you bring up the idea of a medium, Carl, and I want to touch on that in just a moment. Something that I found pretty interesting is that you you started working with a spirit box when you were at the Stanley. This is kind of a newer tech approach, I would say, in the ghost hunting field. And this really caught my attention. You had some pretty interesting results with the ghost box when you were at the Stanley. And it kind of brought you down a fascinating and strange rabbit hole. Now, I recently used a spirit box for the first time on my first ghost hunt. So that was kind of exposure Mm -hmm. therapy right from the start. (laughs) Um, But would you mind sharing your story with us of what happened with this this ghost slash spirit box yeah so the the spirit box is a really controversial device and uh for the folks that hate it i i don't blame you a bit i there's a lot of people in this uh paranormal field that utterly hate that thing and i respect them a lot and i'm like i wish i could hate it too and um because i mean it just scans through normal FM or AM radio stations uh, and you hear commercials and clips of songs and DJs talking and it's scanning through really quickly. So there's not uh, very often that you can make stuff out um, as far as like going every, you know, two seconds, like you're hearing something distinct, but there's, there's a lot of room for false positives basically. And one of the, the first couple times I used it though, we heard some really like almost shoutingly loud direct responses to the questions we asked, like names. We're like, hey, Paul, if you're here, you got to shout it out over all this other noise um, or we're not really going to be too sure. And we just hear like Paul just shout it out right through it. And it was very loud and very clear in a way that made me think something more is going on here than just random matrixing uh, by the ears or hearing what you want to hear, just forcing something to make sense. It seemed like something more, but I always kept that critical mind with it because it is so easy to just hear what you want to hear. Um, but we, and again, I don't know where the source of this idea came from. Uh, it was, I think probably from a conversation between me and Callie back in the day, um, where we were just spitballing ideas in the middle of the night. But at some point it came up that, we had this idea of thinking about what happens if you plug somebody in on a pair of headphones and they're listening to the spirit box, but no one else in the group can hear what the spirit box is saying. Mm -hmm. And the person with the headphones on can't hear the questions being asked. You crank it up real loud. You get some good super soundproof headphones and you see if they just speak aloud, anything clear that they hear at all, any single voice, uh, whether it sounds like a commercial or not, anything they hear, they just say it. Meanwhile, everyone else is asking questions and we wanted to use that as more of an objective, like take out the manipulating your expectations bit and just it's either an answer or it's not, you know, and uh, we started to get weirder and weirder stuff with it. And it was this it, it turned into this giant rabbit hole of an exercise in terms of trying to imagine skeptically, like how many different responses to something could be possible in the realm of coincidence and how many like specific type answers could really, you know, validate something like that. How many back and forth 
questions and conversations could you go through that would start to be beyond just random chance or, or likelihood, which is complex when it comes to conversation, you know, like, mm-hmm. or even topics coming up on the radio. Uh, so, I mean, if we were asking about like, hey, if your favorite football team is the Broncos, because we're out in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Say, say Denver Broncos through this device. Like the odds, of course, of Denver Broncos being talked about on AM radio or like <laughs> decent, you know, or like, hey, what did you think of the the political status of this year right now? Like you might hear a political thing come through the radio because that's what's being talked about on there. So the the skeptical nature of it, like there's a lot to chew on. But we were getting like at its peak at one point, we had like a whole three minute back and forth conversation. Um, it was it was it's still so bizarre to watch that the video footage of it had been a quiet night we were up in the balcony we introduced blindfold too so it's like connor our our team member he has these drummer headphones because he's a drummer so they just knock out tons of noise you can barely hear anything with those things on and he's got the blindfolds on and we're up there we've been talking to it for like 30 minutes not much that's super crazy and uh mark michelle's husband one of our, our guys operating the cameras he holds up his hand and he says, how many fingers am I holding up? And he was holding up four fingers. And we'd never heard it do this before, but Connor just started like hearing numbers coming across the spirit box. And you just start spitting out numbers. <laughs> and he's getting flipping about it because he's like, this is ridiculous. He's like, I, I'm just hearing numbers. So he's just like, seven, 20, two, one, like, and he's just, he said afterwards, he was like, I hoped you guys asked for like a phone number or a lotto ticket number or something. Because <laughs> like, I didn't know what this string of numbers was all about. But it was right when we asked how many fingers Mark was holding up. And it just starts launching off these numbers. And the spirit, like the voice of it sounds like it's getting frustrated, which could just be interpreting like how Connor said stuff. But towards the end of it, he's just like, you know, I tried to do this. Like, I'm I'm done with this. This is this is dumb, you know, and of all the numbers that Connor threw out, none of them were four. Like none of them was the actual number. Mm-hmm. So we were like pushing. We're like, you're so close. Oh, it's four. We were telling him, we're like, it's four. Just say four. And it never actually just said four. And it was just, it was bizarre because almost every line out of his mouth was something relevant to like what was happening, what we were trying to coax out from the spirit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all the questions about that and all the rabbit holes we could go down were just numerous about like, why can't they say that specific number? Could they not see it? Could they not understand it? Could they not communicate it? Like, where was that frustration coming? Because we'd have problems with specificity before. You know, is there some sort of rule or inability to be too specific when they're communicating with us? Is that just more of the, the skeptical, like, you're not going to get the specifics, the odds are too far, but you can interpret a lot more than that as being really close? Like, it was really complex and all of the questions that were coming from that and trying to figure out how to approach it skeptically or or test it further. And we did variations on it. We finally did last year. Uh, we had a situation where we could try a debunking experiment with it. That, that one's complex too. Mm-hmm. So the idea with the debunking experiment is, so we're in the situation, there's random stuff coming through and we wanted to see if the spirit voices were coming out of the spirit box, if they were communicating somehow in that moment why don't we record a session earlier, just randomly, like a day, an hour, a week before, however long. Connor sits on the spirit box at home, talks into his iPhone and just says the words that he hears. On a ghost hunt later, he will plug into that or the spirit box when we're outside of the room. And we'll come back in the room and start asking questions. 
and we don't know which one he's plugged into. If it's a live session that's really happening or if he's just saying all the words the same way that he heard them a week ago. And if we get like really compelling conversation with the one he recorded a week ago, we could stay with some degree of certainty that like it's just happenstance because mm-hmm. like that happened before we even asked these questions. But at what point, if it gets really crazy how good that conversation was back and forth, do we have to start asking those questions that you probably are familiar with looking into UFOs like time? You know, and moving through time and how if you're non-physical, if time is physical to some degree, like are these things moving through space and time in a completely different way that they could literally like listen to our questions and a week before answer them on the spirit box? You know? <laughs> right. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, so it's it's like a 98 percent decent debunking experiment. But that 2% like leftover just opens up even more high strangeness if if you do get a crazy compelling conversation. So, I mean, it's complex, but yeah. I love it. Like it's, it's a weird mediumistic twist on this controversial device that's, that was super fun to just dive into that whole world of it. It is. That, that's a good point. It is fun. And I think that's something to keep in mind, too. Uh, ghost hunting can be fun. It, it doesn't have to be this somber, dark, you know, dramatic thing all the time. I mean, even if you do sync up with a spirit or some sort of energy or activity, you could have a good time. It, it doesn't have to be, I was murdered when I was 12. I'm waiting for someone to find the killer or I'm trapped and I can't cross over. Like, imagine it is a spirit of a person. Do you think that, like, their first means of communication is going to be, you know, depressing or this or that? Maybe they just want to talk to you. Maybe they want to tell you, like, what they did that day in purgatory. I don't know. I don't know. There's... Many possibilities. But like you said, that 2% is what sort of keeps me going in the UFO field, as I'm sure it does mm-hmm. with you. Like, yes, we, we're not out to prove that ghosts are real or aliens are real. Uh, we, just like everyone else, have to come from it from a skeptical angle. When that 2% is left and we have no other answers, then you have to really start asking those questions. Uh, it could be this. It could be that. So that's pretty interesting. Another thing I wanted to touch on Carl, is that idea of, I guess, science versus spiritual, in a sense. You know, we have a very technical side to ghost hunting, and then we have the very spiritual side. Like you said before, sometimes you brought mediums in. What do you think of the whole idea of using tech during a ghost hunt versus feeling something or communicating with something? When it all lines up, I'm sure it's an incredible experience. But is there, in your opinion, like, does it have to be a balance? Is one more important than the other? What do you personally think? For me, it's really about like isolating the different approaches and the reasons why you're on the ghost hunt, like first and foremost, because for me, like I've, I've got a super analytical brain and a really creative sort of uh, practical side. So like I want to pursue creative things and, you know, having a little bit more fun because I'm passionate about it and I don't have that science background uh, explicitly in like my college degree, but my analytical brain just like vibes with science too. So I'm constantly on a philosophical standpoint trying to like study the two 
at all times and like how and where they mesh, how the believers and the skeptics mesh. I studied a lot of mysticism in college, uh, which to me, uh, I mean, that kept coming around to like the science versus religion debate. And for me, I kept interpreting that like in everything that we researched and read. I was like, ghost hunting falls right into the middle of the same debate right here, because what seems to potentially be happening is this spiritual realm, this potentially non-physical realm is somehow manifesting into the physical world and physical things are happening on the whole. Sometimes it seems like those are more psychical type engagements and we have to question all those things. Like if you see a ghost, was that ghost actually there? Was it in your your head? Was that still valid? But it might only be in your head. So there's this big dance between all these things. But I like studying that line and that balance between where those two where those two are at and how much of it is psychical and spiritual, how much of it is something actually manifesting. But to me, if you can watch a book being thrown across a room, that seems to be from a a ghost or spirit, something physical is happening, which means that even if all this stuff is on the spiritual plane, science can never put it in a box. Science can never like fully capture what it is because science is about empiricism, the five senses, being able to to distill something down and kind of test it and document it and observe it. And if this thing is like inherently like ineffable, inherently, you can't ever grasp onto it. It's this, this platonic idea, almost emotional, psychical, spiritual realm, then maybe we'll never get it. But if something's happening there on the physical side, like there's still more that we can learn. If there's a manifestation happening, if it's not just purely spontaneous, some sort of energy exchange or some sort of potentially even branch of science that we don't know about yet. Like you could have described the entire EMF spectrum in the same spiritual enigma you know, however long, 200, 300 years ago before we knew about it now. And we're like, oh, yeah, science includes that, too. How much other stuff is floating around in here? Is there no spiritual realm? We just haven't found the spirit stuff yet that Mm -hmm. science is like, oh, yeah, it's just this wavelength of matter or something, you know, like some completely weird component that we haven't thought of. So from that scientific aspect, I like studying and that's where the spirit box really got interesting because we're like, is this a psychic impression that they're getting or the spirits talking through this thing and they can just hear them better with headphones, you know, like where's where's the balance? Are we tapping into something spiritual here? Are we tapping into another manifestation here? But by that same token, with all of that stuff kind of aside, it's about those approaches and just like, why are you on a ghost hunt tonight? Are you an enthusiast who just wants to engage and like have that experience that you love watching on the ghost shows and you want to see a ghost too. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, like keep making this analogy that bird watchers are totally acceptable in our society to like go and watch birds and you don't need a science degree for that. But if you're into the science, if you have that science background, if you carry a degree and you're passionate about this, go do good science, go do real science and research it. It's all about that approach and the technical teams fall in the middle where their devices, like if they're debunking stuff for a homeowner or they're trying to get answers for the homeowner, all of that stuff is important too. But we just have to be very careful about the scientific terms that we use to describe what we're doing if we're not actually doing that science. And so for me, one of my big dump points, you know, I'll get up and yell at everyone is is to separate our motivations and our approaches from the language that we use. So we're not muddying the waters about the progress that actually needs to be made on the larger whole of it. Yeah, I I think wording is extremely important. You know, when when you're dealing with a spirit, a lot of people make the mistake and immediately go to demon or evil. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's something I'd like to touch on a little bit, too, with you, if that's cool. Uh, Yeah, I think 
people's beliefs, maybe religious, uh, can also play a big part in this. It really, it really, I think it really depends on the lens in which you're viewing what's going on, the activity occurring. You could have science, you could have spirits, and then you have religion. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Have you ever encountered something that you would consider uh, evil or demonic in a sense? Um, not so explicitly. Uh, I, I come very, very middle of the road. Like I've got two sides to every possibility in my brain, at least at all times. And so I'm always very reluctant when it comes to stuff like religion, when it comes to spirituality, while researching mysticism stuff, I find super fascinating. And I think a lot of religions are super fascinating. And I take more of a pluralistic standpoint towards those. Uh, when it comes to actually labeling something um, or getting practical with it, that's where I get reluctant because to tie up anything in the spiritual realm with a little packaging and a bow and say like, this is what it is. We figured it out. These telltale traits mean that, you know, like you're feeling creeped out on a location, you got scratched and uh, you smelled sulfur like it's a demon, like done. It means evil. That's what it is. I take more of an, an open minded approach where like I think that that sort of like cookie cutter thinking. I mean, it could be accurate for sure. Like, I don't know. But some planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.